And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys had a terrific weekend. A great show for you today. I was joined by my brother, Andrew Donaldson, uh, and we had a lot to discuss today. We talked about the wave of school choice legislation making its way across the country. Uh, We talked about how you can effectively fight back against corrupt government bureaucracies. Uh, And we talked about Afro Man. That is right. I said Afro Man. Uh, You're going to have to wait and see why. We we talked about Afro Man on the show, but I think you guys will enjoy it. Uh, Before I get to Andrew, guys, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe. If you are an Apple user, please take a few seconds to leave us a five-star rating and a good review. We'd really appreciate that. And if you like the show and want to get involved, you can support us monthly over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the No Gimmicks Podcast. All right, without further ado, the great Andrew Donaldson. All right, guys, we're here with my brother, Andrew Donaldson. Andrew, how you been, man? I'm good, brother. How are you? You've had a few things going on. Oh, a little bit, you know, a little little bit of life changes around these parts, but uh, <laughs> it's all good. I haven't slept in a few weeks, but besides that, I've never been better, man. See, it's it's amazing how much being a new parent is a lot like being a gigging, touring musician, except you don't actually go anywhere, but you still don't sleep any, and you still feel terrible, and you still got to perform on a minute's notice. It's amazing, isn't it? It's it's a different kind of tired because, well, I mean, like if you're on a bus and you have a crew and everything, it's probably different. But like for us touring in a van, I mean, we don't have a crew. We're working our asses off all day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just moving around heavy stuff all day. So you're exhausted at the end of the night, 3 a.m. And you kind of just pass out. But it's like, I'm not doing anything physical. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> I'm never like drained enough to actually get any real sleep. So it's like, it's, 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 it's weird. It's a, it's a different kind of tired. Ment- mental tired is a whole different thing. And then if you get the great combination of mental along with physical tired, then you really get wiped. And, but it's a, the mental strain thing is a real thing. It's amazing how it changes your physiology too, to your body and your eating and everything else. It's amazing. Oh yeah, man. I'm I, I'm interested to see what my brain does during hunting season when I got to get up at like three in the morning to go duck hunting. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to survive that, man. That'll be, I think there's be a lot of missing going on this, this first hunting season with a baby. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it, it'll be interesting. And then uh, you'll get older and start having to watch all the toddler stuff and you'll have to watch Bambi six times and then go hunting. So then you get to have some <laughs> existential moments of they killed Bambi's mother. Let me go hunting real quick. And then you can have some self-reflection. It'll be great. Oh man. When I, uh, I have two nieces, two nephews, and they uh they're all stayed the night at my place maybe a year ago, and the my two nieces are six and nine, so maybe they were a year younger than that then, and I mean they they're family they they don't hunt or fish or anything, and so I I really got a kick out of making her deer spaghetti, making the girls some deer spaghetti, and then showing them a picture of the dough that I that they were eating, and they they reacted exactly how you would expect a five and eight year old to react. And that was that was good. So I'm looking forward to being able to do that with my own kids for sure. Yeah, it'll be great, man. And uh, I'm I'm just thrilled for you and very happy. Congratulations, since I hadn't been on here since that happened. But uh, yeah, it's it's a hell of a ride, brother. And I'm thrilled for you. 
Thanks, brother. I appreciate it, man. So we got a ton to get to, as always. But first, I missed this one. And thank you for bringing this absolute masterpiece to my attention. But apparently here in Ohio, the cops raided Afro Man's house last August. I'm just setting the stage here for the listeners at home. It was over some BS search warrant. You know, they they basically they just wanted to raid Afro Man's house. You know, that's just that's that's what was happening here. So they break down his gate, break down his door. They steal a bunch of money from him. They disconnected his security cameras and it made a mess of everything. So Afro Man <laughs> took the security footage of these cops and used the footage for a music video <laughs> for a song called What's the song called? It's uh, will, Are you gonna help me fix my door? Yes. <laughs> um, and it's just this footage of these cops behaving like thugs, you know. Um, and the song is hilarious. He's just singing about how criminal these cops were. And, and I'm going to tweet out the video right under the show when it's out. So if you haven't, if you missed it, you know, we'll, we'll alleviate that real quick. But it's out, outstanding stuff. The song's hilarious. What's your favorite line from this song, man? Because there's a lot of humdingers in there. I think we have to lead off with the lemon pound cake. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So for people that he, he did this chronologically with the song. So he has them breaking down the gate to his house. He has one of the gates with the, you know, the hydraulic arm that swings open and shut. So you have this cop, rather ineptly, by the way, from somebody that's had to deal with a lot of moving gates over their life, <laughs> just physically <laughs> putting his shoulder to it and pushing the hydraulic gate open. I guess nobody taught him what a release valve on a hydraulic cylinder was. He could literally just walk over and turn a screw um, 30 degrees and it would have released and he could have just pushed it open. But like struggling for a good... 10, 15 seconds to physically push this gate open, thus breaking it. So they broke the gate. Then they they busted down his door, like took the frame off the door, the whole thing. They're going through his house with guns drawn tactically, which is really funny. And I've, I've tried to find the background on why they were going in tactically um, and haven't found anything, which that's probably kind of telling in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. But there's this great clip and there's this sheriff's deputy. This was a multi-agency <laughs> thing. There's this sheriff's deputy who has... Pr- how can I say this delicately? Um, he solved the profit line for his lo- local Duncan more than he's probably solved crimes from the look of it. He's yeah. walking back in front through the kitchen island, and the dude—I love <laughs> Afro Man. By the way, just this—the way his house laid out is hilarious when you see his girl on his kitchen counter. He has the old school diner cake pedestal yes. with the glass yes. dome on it, and he has a big thing of pound cake in there. You just and don't see cop, that anymore. You just don't, you don't see, see that see anymore. It anymore. Like. Total respect for proper respect for your food. Love it. 100%. And this this poor deputy who's rather rotund is going back and forth behind the island with his weapon <laughs> drawn. And you can watch his face. He's he's doing his scan, but his scan keeps going to the cake and stopping. Oh, yeah. And then, and then you can see it in the body language. He physically realizes he's staring at the cake, so he goes back to scanning. And he's got his weapon drawn, yes. but he just can't. And, like, it's not three <laughs> seconds later, he's right back to staring. He's just eye staring at the. He's just staring a hole through this cake. And he's rapping over top of it, do you want my pound cake? I mean, it's just <laughs> that one. And then the other one is um, probably the funniest line of the whole thing. He actually puts the search warrant up on the video. And he's highlighting and he's like, I don't understand why you search me for narcotics. Okay, I'm I'm kidding. I get that one. But what about <laughs> kidnapping? And then the next kidnapping. six or seven minutes of the song is just <laughs> footage of them going through different things in his house while he asked them if there's a kidnapping video. And he's like, is there a kidnapping victim in my suit pockets? Because they're going through his <laughs> yeah. closet. Like, is there a kidnapping victim in my CDs? He's like, you can get these at the store. <laughs> like, it, It's masterful. And then, of course, what happened was they came out. 
and I think it was like six of these guys are now suing him, his record company, and the music distributor for um, for basically mocking them and making them look bad. And I'm like, talk about being tone deaf. You're you're basically drawing more attention to what you did in the first place. That this is probably going to be his second biggest hit after because I was high. If it doesn't become an even bigger hit, you're making him even more money. You make yourselves look bad. Like, look, if Afro Man commits a crime, fine, charge him for it. If it's just like a drug possession thing, why are we busting into this dude's house for it? But the 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 funny thing about it is the aftermath of. And by the way, this is all his footage. This isn't body cams and subject to law. This is his security footage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's not like he's using the state footage for this. The idea that you can't use footage of what a public official does that In you your yourself house. took. Like we're laughing about this. This is fun. This is a big deal. Oh yeah. Because yeah, there yeah. there's a big legal debate going on right now where law enforcement really wants to crack down on people. They don't want anybody to have an ability to video them doing anything. And I understand there's certain situations where that is true. But we've already learned it. Unaccountable government is bad. The police and I support great police by support great police by holding them accountable because if you care about something, you hold it accountable. You have to have transparency with police because they are the armed enforcement wing of the government. You can't say you don't you want accountable government and not have accountable police. There's this whole big debate right now about what they can and cannot film that police do. And man, this this gets to the heart of it where it's your his own footage of his own house that yes, it was a legal search warrant. We're not saying that, but they came into the house. Even though they had a search warrant, he still has rights even underneath that search warrant. You and ha- what rights would he have if he hadn't videotaped any of that? Yeah. So yeah. The, the, we're laughing about it, but there's a lot of serious issues here as well. But I love the fact that he didn't he didn't do the victim card. He didn't do the woe is me card. You know, he's like, you know what? I'm going to actually make money off this. Plus, I'm going to raise awareness to the problem in a way that average people who normally like if you just called this social justice, everybody would turn it off. Now, everybody across the spectrum is looking at that and going, "Okay, that ain't right. And they're getting a laugh out of it. And you're actually pushing something that's really important policy wise forward in a way that everybody's approachable. This is something they should teach in political science and teach political messaging people because this stuff connects. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, that's absolutely right. And I mean, that's why I wanted to talk about it on the show, too. I mean, it is hilarious, but it is also important. And it's just like, I mean, one, the, <laughs> I have to imagine these cops that are suing them. I can't imagine a bigger Streisand effect than, than this. Oh, by lawsuit. the way, his last album, not to interrupt you, his last album that came out a month ago was called Lemon Pound Cake. So you want to talk <laughs> yes, about marketing. so good, man. So like good. the marketing that the cop was literally trying to steal something that his last album was titled. Like you can't make that stuff up. No, it's just perfect. And if anybody was wondering, yes, it is just like the super simple, crappy drum machine. There's no Korg eight hundred <laughs> drum machine from yeah. the eighties that everybody yeah. had. But, but yep. that's you know what? That's the brilliance. So because good. I got how is the same thing. It's just yeah. a very simple trap uh-huh. drum loop. Yep. But it's so funny. It, like. We we do this thing with music sometimes. We overanalyze it. Simple is creative. Like, if you take simple, whether it's oh, a yeah. guitar chord or a drum loop or a rap lyric or whatever, Tom Petty made a lot of money on three chords and a chorus, man. If you do simple, really... Same thing in cooking. If you do oh, yeah. simple ingredients good, that makes great food. You hunt... You, 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 you eat what you kill, so you know this. Oh, yeah. You kill something, treat it properly, salt, pepper, fantastic. Doing something simple... But doing it really, really well, 
there's a lesson there because that's just a drum loop that any you could make that drum track literally on any main, main smartphone now with an oh, app. Yeah. You could do oh, that yeah. same thing. But you didn't think of it, he did. You know, that's that that really is a certain kind of genius to just take simple things and make a whole career out of it. God bless him. Uh, yeah, I'm absolutely. Big fan. I it is there's nothing more aggravating to me than government officials doing something wrong and then playing the victim. I mean, that is just like these cops. It's like, oh, you got caught on camera being thugs and that made you sad. Poor baby. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on, man. You broke the guy's door down, destroyed his house, stole money. I mean, they were going through his closet. They're taking cash. It's on video, taking cash out of his wallet and, and stuffing it in their pants. You know, it's like these guys were thugs and they're trying to sue him. I mean, they're not going to win the lawsuit, obviously, but. You know, it's just it, there isn't anything worse than a government official complaining after doing something wrong. And it's like I always, I you know, I'm five miles from the Michigan border, so she bothers me more than most people that that don't live in Michigan. But it's like yeah. the Gretch, Gretchen Whitmer thing after she, you know, murdered a few thousand old people, became a communist dictator, and shut down every business in the state, and then was complaining about her safety after 14 FBI agents tricked a couple homeless, mentally ill dudes into pretending they want to kidnap her. It's like, no, lady, like, you're... You're the psychopath, okay? Like you're you're the bad guy here, not the other way around. So it's like yeah. it's just yeah. nothing rubs me the wrong way than cops or politicians, like these agents of the state doing something improper and then trying to play the victim later. It's just ugh, it's so aggravating, man. And to be clear, we don't want anybody getting kidnapped. But it's also like, listen to this quote. Let me just read you the Afro man quote here. This is about the lawsuit. He said, my biggest fear, this is a direct quote, my biggest fear was all this was being a big deal, but not to my fans. My fans being like, so what? You got ready to do shut up and sing because I got high, right? He said, but these guys are once again making me the biggest star, the cops that are suing him. Listen to this. I don't want to pay these guys nothing, but worst case scenario, if I have to pay them off the publicity and fame they just now gave me, it might be fair to just shuffle them a few coins because I'm going to write a new album called Lemon Pound Cake Part 2. Most albums have seven to ten songs. And so he said, I'm going to write one about each of the officers and see how good I can <laughs> humiliate them. I'll happily pay them again for that. But then underneath that, he says, I just want people, listen to this quote. I love this. I just want people to do the best they can. I want to see people look at me and say, what a sport, what a good, peaceful, positive move to make such a thing under such a bad circumstance. Yeah, man. Like, where's where's that in our, like, that dude needs to be in media. That guy needs to have a talking head show. Like, <laughs> yeah, man. That, that's, that's the thing. It's like, all right, this thing happened that sucks. Life sucks. Bad stuff happens. How do I spin it to something positive? You're going to get, to reiterate the point again, I've, I don't know how many police reform and what, ah, I don't know how many um, articles on police reform or whatever I've wrote over the years, but I swear to God, you know, I don't think any of them got the attention that that just got. No. no. So it's hard to tell. I don't, I don't know how you do it better than that. You can write papers. You can have policy stuff. You can have a politician get up and give a speech. We can have protest. There was a big. I was walking around D.C. There was this huge protest, but from a distance, all you heard was people shouting. Like you have no idea what they're protesting. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You see the flag. You just you hear somebody speaking vaguely, and then some guy yelling. And it, it, God bless them. That's exactly what they're supposed to be doing. America, you should have a right to protest. But I, from a distance, I have no idea what they're doing. This stuff cuts through people that do what we do. It cuts through to just the normal people and go. Wow, there might be a problem with how the police conduct searches in America. That's a really good thing. Yeah. Because people normally don't talk about it, at least now they're talking about it. And That's way more than me writing some high-handed, police brutality is awful. Let me give you these 16 statistics about it, which is important, but that stuff cuts through. Let's let's highlight this, and it's positive. Yeah. 
I mean, hope, and then even on the local level, hopefully this publicity, you know, hopefully some of these cops get fired. Like, hopefully they make some changes in this police department. Hopefully this judge that issued a ridiculous kidnapping-related search warrant, you know, get, get, has some pressure, maybe loses an election or whatnot if he's an elected official. You know, like, you never know, like, how, how much good, you know, this that record can actually do, you know. And, and, I, and I, of course, and he handled it perfectly, too. Like, what are you going to do, yeah. fight with the cops? You're going to get shot in the face. You know, the like, state what, of West yeah, like, yeah, the state of West Virginia right now, they just fired the superintendent of the state police. And part of the reason they had to fire him was because he was really upset that Homeland Security came in and investigated the state police, found all the corruption, and wouldn't let him be part of the investigation. And they're oh like, gosh. dude, you're under investigation too. You, and he is incensed and going around doing media like, well, I should have been allowed to do the investigation. Like, no, you're the problem. And it was, and it was exactly stuff like that, like, cops that got caught stealing money from a casino and they were supposed to get fired and instead they allowed them to retire right like just the soft the soft kind of corruption of giving people soft landings things like that and now you have a whole an entire state police in disorder that's actually probably holding up uh jim justice's senate announcement because he's got to wait for this to get out of the headlines <laughs> now you know and, and then you talk to the media people like i do and they're like yeah this has been known for a while it's just we couldn't run with it because you got anonymous sources and they're going to kill it yeah. as soon as you try to run it and then finally, somebody, a state troop, somebody inside the state police got it to the Homeland Security and Homeland Security came in and went, holy crap. Like they literally have a video of a cop just stealing money from a casino and they buried it like crap oh, like gosh. this. And putting uh, cameras in the women's locker room at the state police academy and oh, just come real dirtbag stuff. But it, but again, it wasn't the crimes. It was the cover ups. And yeah. uh well, we'll just move him over here. Like they had, they had a police officer. Golly, I write for the Fayette Tribune, a local paper back in West Virginia, just to try to help him out. Right, Golly Bridge. They had a cop that finally got arrested for being with an underage girl and forcing her into sexual acts to let her out of a ticket or whatever. He he had been fired by like six other police departments. Oh come like on! Like these guys just circulate. Yeah, the good cops. It makes the good police officers' jobs infinitely harder when these bad guys get the bad cops get patted on the head and circulated around and just soft landing after soft landing. And then you wind up with the really good cops going, screw this. I can't get ahead because look how they're treating these bad people when we're out here trying to actually do the job. Right. You know, it's, it's a self-defeating thing. And, you know, again, doing it in a positive way, but then getting to the serious issue, I think is really, really good. So hopefully that's what happens here. And somebody goes, Man, this search and seizure stuff is actually really serious where people can just steal. I just read a thing the other day where this this guy had all this cash taken at the airport. It took him three years to get it back. It didn't do a single thing wrong other than having a bunch of cash on him. Wow. And they just take it, and it took him three years to get it back. Like, I, not I, did, I did read It's in the article. And I, again, I'll, I'll tweet this out uh, once the show's up. But uh, Afro Man said that they, he did get his cash back eventually. Took him a few months, but he got it back, but missing four hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they kept, you think they he's getting it back that bucks. fast if that video doesn't come out though? Oh no, he's probably no. never getting that. He's never getting that cash back if uh if the video doesn't come out. Absolutely no way. But uh I before we're gonna get to a little bit of this Trump DeSantis stuff uh in a in a second. But um I, I wanna highlight some good news. I mean it, it seems like we're always talking about bad news <laughs> yeah. twice a week on the show, but Fair. um as we speak, I think uh it, 
the press conference is going on right now, but uh, Ron DeSantis is signing the school choice bill into law yeah. that the legislature passed down in Florida here earlier this month. And uh, Florida is the sixth state in the last year and a half to pass universal uh, school choice. Other states like Ohio and others have passed kind of, you know, half measures um, to give parents a little bit of choice. But, um, yeah, I, I believe West Virginia and Arizona were the first, and then Utah, Iowa, Arkansas, and now Florida. And all these states now have— um, or will have education savings accounts for parents that parents can use towards you know whatever they want private school homeschooling whatever you know whatever they choose. Um, and I'm not sure about Florida's yet. I haven't dug into it yet. But most of these states are giving parents between like seven and eight grand a year per kid um, to go towards what you know whatever they want. So I mean, this, obviously we can touch on it briefly, but the whole COVID fiasco with kids' education has been an absolute disaster. We're going to be feeling the ramifications of that for decades. Yes. Um, but this school choice movement, uh, obviously the the Randy Weingartens of the world, the big teachers' unions, are, are fighting tooth and nail and putting you know hundreds of millions of dollars into politicians trying to stop it. But I think the cat's out of the bag, man. I think a lot of these Republican-dominated states, hopefully here in Ohio next, are. I think a lot of these states are going to be passing universal school choice and um, I mean, honestly, I think this is one of the best things that could possibly happen for the few for the next generation of Americans, man. School choice cuts across political ideologies. hundred percent. For a couple of uh, down in Wilmington, I you know I started doing when I first started doing radio and broadcasting was in Wilmington, North Carolina. When I was started doing radio down there, there was a huge scandal. Wilmington's pretty as a pretty liberal liberal city, mm-hmm. surrounded by a whole bunch of red county, like a lot of places. The city's real liberal. The outside Leland, right across the thing, Brunswick County, which is one of the fastest growing counties in the entire country, yeah. very very red. So there's always been that back and forth between the city and the county and all this sort of thing. They had a scandal, though, where they had a a bad teacher that was uh, abusing students sexually and all this stuff, and the school board covered it up and all that, so they had to fire everybody, and you know that story. But what happens is when stories like that happen, now you have this very liberal city. All of a sudden, school choice got really popular. Yeah. So it was really weird that, like, they're like, no, this school system is broken, so all the— you know, retirees and vacationers and the the little bit wealthier, well-to-do people all of a sudden were super pro-choice when it comes to school. And they're yeah. like, well, we need we we can't do this. Look how corrupt this system is. It's one of those things that really cuts across a lot of lines. And what happened with COVID, and I saw this with my own children because I was home every day with them because I'm the stay-at-home parent through COVID. COVID, we told, I just had, I was just at a conference with a whole bunch of academics about this and all these college people, they're aware of it. We told an entire generation of students exactly what the government and the school system thought of them. Yes. They all found out in a very real way that you could never have explained to them policy-wise that they're cogs in a wheel. Yeah. And, they, and you told them in a visceral way that they're never going to get. You told them they're fodder. Yeah. Because like, and I've told Not, this story non, before, Non-essential. I've told this story before and I've wrote about it, but I just, I can't think of the elementary school and the high school in my kids' school district are are right beside each other on the same piece of property. Mm-hmm. Right across the street is the shopping center with the McDonald's. The McDonald's I'm always complaining about, that's the McDonald's, the one that the ice cream machine never works. Uh, the grocery store, all that, is directly across the intersection. In fact, most of the kids walk across the street to the intersection to get picked up by the kids because they go into Starbucks or whatever, the, or McDonald's or whatever, so there's this big mass. The idea during COVID that the exact same people teachers, students, whatever, if you go on that side of the street where the school is, everybody's going to die. But the exact same people every single day are interacting on the other side of the street. It's the same people doing the same stuff they always did. They're just not allowed to go in the school building. Like, kids understood that. Like, this doesn't make sense. 
Yeah. Why can I go in the grocery store, but I can't go into the school? And they're a thousand yards apart across the road. And it's the same people. The teachers and the students are all mingling. Just, you know, they're just at the grocery store instead of at the school. Like the kids understand that on a visceral level of, well, they didn't care about us. They cared about all this other stuff. And to be fair, they don't understand things like economics and schedule, but they just know that like we were way down the list of what was important during COVID. Yeah. Plus add to that, that a lot of them, you know, their parents had to change jobs. Some of their parents had to lose jobs because they can't afford daycare. They can't get people that work part-time jobs while their kids are at school. That's a lot, a lot of working moms, yeah. you know, they'll work during the day or do something during the day and then go get their kids. They can't do those 25, 30 hours a week because of that. Their kids saw that. They heard their parents talking about how much daycare costs. They heard their parents worried about their health legitimately. They yeah. worried about the changing set of rules. The kids ate all that. That is going to be the defining moment for that generation of kids for the rest of their lives. And now that they're going through colleges and stuff, they're very cynical. They don't buy the whole, well, it's all about your education anymore, because we, us as a country, the government, the school system, parents, we told them that they were not important. We told them that we were full of crap when we said it's all about you getting a good education. We said it through our actions, and it's going to have these ramifications. So when you get to something like school choice now, understand something. These, This is the group now in the next five to ten years that are going to start become parents themselves. Right. Because they were all 15 to let's say let's just round it off because I'm bad about. So let's say that group that just went through COVID was 15 to 20 years old. That takes in, you know, high school and college. Mm -hmm. So then when they're 25, 20 to 25, they go through their college, 25 to 30. Let's say they're making kids just to round it off. How do you think that's going to affect their school choice thoughts after going through all that with COVID? And look, school choice has its limits. So you're still going to have 90 percent of the population going to public school. But they've got the conversation now. You start getting that number 85, like people don't understand just those little percentages of changes. The school system numbers don't work anymore and the funding numbers don't work because the school system. And this is something the school choice advocates like Corey talk about a lot. The school system was never designed to shrink. It was always designed to grow and grow and grow. And 100%. now you're going to see it. And now you're going to see it shrink and people are going to. That's why. Um, and again, I want to differentiate between in classroom teachers who are vital. You cannot have a society without in-classroom teachers. And the administrative level state, the bureaucrats, the teacher unions, those people, because those are two different things, and they want to say, no, we're teachers. No, those are two very different things. In-classroom teachers, I'll go to the wall for all day long, because they're getting stuck in the middle and getting screwed, because everybody's blaming them, and they're just kind of stuck in the middle on a lot of this. That administrative level, the political level, the bureaucratic level, uh, the union level and the government and the union and that incestuous relationship with public education, they're scared to death because they know that they cannot fund without students and they're losing students for the first time in a lot of these areas. It's going to get ugly with the pushback, but I think it's an inevitable thing where this school choice thing kind of rolls across all these red states. Now, the question is what happens after that? Once this goes in, then what do you do? It's like, okay, I don't think we've done a lot of thinking on that yet, but now can you leverage that to get some actual meaningful reform in the public school system as well while still giving parents options to go out? Because there's a lot of places where there isn't. You can put school choice on the books, but there's no other schools. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. They need to do the next step after we get all these pets. Because this is going to pass in basically any red state that it's in. It's just going to. They, well, they got to leverage thing. it to actually make some change with it, though. The thing is, like, you know, in Iowa, that's certainly the case. Um you know, if you live in rural Iowa or, or Utah, who's passed who's passed these laws as well, 
or West Virginia. Sometimes there's just no other option. But a state like Florida, I think, is going to be fast. I mean, how many major cities are in Florida? I mean, you have all these major markets. You have uh, something like 20 million, 21 million people. So it's like that is going to—I think Florida is going to tell us a lot about how this system's going to work, where, you know, like a state like Utah, you're just not going to—I mean, there's just no data there um, to kind of, like, figure out how it's going to work. But, you know, it's like I I knew— I mean, when I was a teenager, that I would never, under any circumstances, send children to public school. I mean, like, in, in you know, where I live here in Toledo, Ohio, it's not even an option. Um, I mean, like, I would die before sending my daughter to a public I mean, the only thing I learned in school And that comes from your experience in schools, yeah, though, yeah, because yeah. you had kind of a unique experience in schools yourself. It was just violent. It was just violence everywhere. Um, guns in school all the time. Um, obviously, this is before... Schools had metal detectors and stuff like that. I mean, we just learned. I mean, we learned how to fist fight, and we learned to be nice to the gang-affiliated kids who were carrying handguns. That's all I learned. <laughs> so it's like I, I would never like in in honestly the private Christian schools here in in the Toledo area are trash as well. I mean, there's no. Uh, I mean, there really isn't a school within 50 miles of here where I would ever even consider sending a kid to. So it's like if you live in Toledo, Ohio, and you're a the rational human being like homeschooling is kind of the only option um you know so it's like hey if government wants to give me seven eight grand a year to to help out with that that would be fantastic it's my money anyway so you know i'm really hoping ohio follows suit with with one of these programs i think they will uh, we have a new speaker yeah. of the ohio house who's a young guy and uh very conservative and stuff so i, th- I think we're going to get some some solid legislation in, in, in the next few years here in ohio but um yeah i mean like I, it's, I mean, obviously, it's subjective. I mean, I had a unusually bad school experience growing up, but um, it's like if you live in a place like I currently live, it's like I don't have the money to, to buy a house out in the country that costs five times as much as my house. And, and you know, there's just no the public school system is just gangs and violence. And, and you know, it's it's not it, it's not even an option for me and my family, you know, so it's like I, I really re- I, I respect all these people. And it's typically led by Republicans for finally stepping up and going to bat for for the next generation. I mean, it's like I don't know what took. Uh, you know, our education system's been decl- in decline for decades now. I don't know what took so long. Obviously, the unions are powerful, but um, it, it is, it, you know, don't don't tell me we never get good news. I mean, this is this is all what Arizona and West Virginia were. What that was like last. West Virginia's was la- not this legislative cycle. It was the one before that. One so before. it would have been the spring. Arizona was before. There was another yep. one in there. I mix it. I know Texas did one in there somewhere too. I think, but. It, it's going to it, you look if you have a red state, this is going to get passed. If you have a blue state, it's not yeah. going to get passed. But there, there's so much built into this. Like you were just saying, though, it's like, you know, why? Why? We have 529 plans for college. My my daughter's in college right now. She has a 529. She can actually draw interest off that. She could take a loan off that if she wanted to. It, it draws interest even when she's not using it. You know, why can't a parent have a 529 plan for secondary school? for a private school or whatever. Like, that's just a regulatory thing you could fix, stuff like that. But then there's this, here's the whole meat to this. And I went to both public and private schools, both. My children have gone to both, both over, my my older kid went to an international school overseas. I've I've experienced all this in every form, online, whatever you want to talk about. I've done it. There has always been school choice in this country. Um, the problem was the school choice was the rich kids got to choose right. and the poor people never got a choice. Yes. And then people wanted to act like the, the poor folks just had to deal with whatever. I can't think of anything crueler than to tell 
somebody who's already disadvantaged or already poor or already in a uh, discriminated against minority group and going, no, you have to sit in a crappy public school. Yeah. Like I, I can't, that's cruel. Like your child evil. is going to, it's evil. Yeah. Your child is going to spend 12 years in a bad school and there's nothing you can do about it. That ain't right. Like people understand inherently that ain't right. Yeah. So there's always been school choice. What you're trying to do is everybody should have some kind of a school choice option or at least 100%. better. But again, you can't just stop with school choice because again, there's still going to be that discrepancy of the rich kids are always going to be able and the better and more affluent. Once you get that, then you got to leverage it and go, okay, most kids are still going to go to public education, but now we got a little competition. Now we can leverage it. Let's get some real meaningful reform in the public education system because you're never going to get it without that leverage because, and people don't want to talk about it this way. It's almost like the healthcare debate. The healthcare debate is a bureaucracy debate. Education is a bureaucracy debate. The, yep. You need to quit looking at the education system in America, especially the secondary and under, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school. Stop looking at it as if it's some little small college on a hill in a perfect town where nothing ever goes wrong. It's not. Quit. Start treating the education system like the DMV because that's yes. what's because it has the same problem. Start treating yes. it like the post office. It, if I said you're going to send your kids to the post office every day for 12 years. And they're going to treat them like crap, not because they're really mean, malicious people, but because the bureaucracy is just an inert mess and mean, malicious people are able to infiltrate it and do bad things within it because it's such a messed up system. You'd think you were crazy, but that's what we're doing. Yeah. The education system, that doesn't mean the teachers are bad. The vast majority of teachers are great and just slogging away at it because it's their vocation and calling. But that go look at the hockey graph chart of how much the administration level has grown. They're getting six figures salaries and never darkening the door of a classroom while the poor classroom teacher is getting Kleenexes out of their own pocket for their classrooms. That's how you got to treat it. Treat it like the post office. Treat it like the DMV. It's a government leviathan that has been called by the government as an untouchable beast, and you're sending your kids into it. That's not sustainable. People are going to push back, and they're finally starting to push back. Hundred percent. And like, if you look at the polling data around school choice, it's uh, the, the support is through the roof. It's eighty-two yeah. percent of Republicans, sixty-eight percent of Democrats. And if you dig deeper, um, you know the 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 demographic that supports school choice the most in the country is Black Americans. It's something like ninety. They need it. Yeah. 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 They need it, and they're also that's also the demographic. You know. Inner city minorities is also the demographic that wants police accountability and reform the most, but they also think the most of police because they know they're the ones that need it the most. Oh, yeah. And some people can't put those two things. What do you mean you want police? You're against the police, but you want more police. No, they need better police to protect them because they need them. It's like you were just talking about when you went to school. They need the protection. So yeah. they know better than anybody. But we don't want to listen to them. We want to listen to these people that have been in the education. And, and I just I just sat in a room with a whole bunch of college professors and administrators and, and a couple of provost, mar like high-level college folks. And we just had this conversation in this conference I was at talking to each other, and they're just over and over and over again. It's like the problem with getting reform is before the person gets in the position to do any reform, they've been in the system for 20, 30 years in that same system. So when they get in the place to reform, it's like asking somebody to start singing in Swahili all of a sudden. They just can't yeah. do it because you become a creature of your ecosystem. And that's what's happened. My dad told me years ago, he was his 50th graduation class from his college. He was honored because of all the student teachers. He was a distinguished graduate when they did that. He had taught so many student teachers and he's like, I knew the education was a mess because I saw all the student teachers going through for 35 years. 
like everybody like they knew they knew it was coming it's like it gets worse and worse and worse because the system is feeding on itself now and now it's become the system like it's like a lot of parts in government the system itself is now untouchable yeah that's the problem yes because it's such a big beast of a system but we want to continue to act like like oh it's a, it's the same thing with the defense budget i'm very pro defense like i'm i'm you you probably think i'm a warmongering hawk compared to you but you could cut so much crap out of the pentagon budget because everything's like it's for the troops but none of it has anything to do with troops it's stuff no. sitting it's stuff sitting at the pentagon in arlington and wherever else and that, you know only like 2% of that money actually gets to the actual fighting troops we got to see the education system as a bureaucracy and until you admit what it is you'll never understand the actual problems involved and you can't just wave Education for the kids, that doesn't fix anything. In fact, it makes it worse because now all the bad actors can run under that. They can get eternal funding for anything under the guise of education, and nothing gets better. And meanwhile, every 12 years, you got a whole other generation of students going through this god-awful hot mess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, what was the what, what was the fighter jet that they were trying to make or stop from falling out of the sky for 10 years? <laughs> uh, there's they, been a couple spent... of them. But the more recent one in the in the last maybe going back twelve fifteen years, but they spent well, they, some yeah, ungodly amount of money. They had a lot of trouble with the F thirty five bringing it online. Was it F thirty five? But what the F thirty five? The problem with it was, and we've got the same problem in the Navy with shipbuilding right now is we're not building defense systems that are best for defense. We're building defense system based on which congressman's district we can put the defense oh, yeah. contract in. Yep. And that's not good. And we're building, we're literally building ships that we don't need because it's got to be at the plant for the powerful congresswoman or senator. And we're lacking the ships we do need because that yard doesn't build that kind of ship. Like it's that kind of bad, corrupt. The Navy's a mess right now, especially the Pacific Fleet. But like, again, it goes, it's the same. Look, there, there's a common thread here, whether it's police or education or defense bureaucracy kills everything it touches and yes. you got to have a little bit of bureaucracy but if you don't keep your finger look bureaucracy is like a fire in a fireplace a fire in a fireplace is a very good comforting thing that keeps the house warm and if you're not careful it'll burn your whole freaking house down and oh, yeah. that's how we got to start treating this bureaucracy because whether it's police reform or education or defense or anything else you want to talk about like you know how government officials conduct themselves and politicians, it's all the same problem. If you don't keep accountability on that bureaucracy, on the political process, on the government process, it will destroy absolutely everything because it's a fire. It breathes, it eats, it lives, and it does not care. No, no, and it's only built to grow. It's never. None of these programs are built to to retract ever. And it's yeah. Yeah, I'll yeah, never forget in fire school, the first, they, they take you in the fire tower the first time and they have this hay barrel on fire, right? And the lesson is, if you hit it directly with the hose, all that hay just scatters the fire everywhere. So, you know, there's the dynamics of, you know, you can start the fire. You can actually put water in this corner over here, not even hit it, but it sucks all the oxygen and puts fire out, that kind of stuff. You, ha you have to starve government, big government, Leviathan government. It's, it's all about the money and the funding because that's what feeds it. You have to redirect it and do it so it's not feeding on itself, and we just have no appetite whatsoever to do it because everybody likes the government money. So we're we're in a bad place with stuff like that because people don't even understand what the problem really is. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm I'm a political hack too. So unlike you, <laughs> so I I do like the political ramifications as well. You know, if you starve um, these public school systems of of the money they need, and you know these teachers unions start to collapse or at least 
um, you know, maybe maybe these teachers unions won't have the money to fund all these Democrat campaigns across the country. You know, it's like they uh, I, I the political ramifications of these school choice laws are fantastic <laughs> from from my perspective as well. Not, I mean, obviously, and then becoming a parent this month, like it's I, I have more skin in the game and that becomes infinitely more important to me now um, as well. The, the real life stuff. But uh, the on the political side, too, it's obviously a winner for Republicans, you know, I don't know well, why every Republican doesn't no. run on, doesn't it, run on this, the teachers know? union thing will be like my, look, my dad was in the NEA, but it was so when his principal showed up to do something stupid, he's like, I got an NEA lawyer, get out of my classroom, leave me alone. I, right. I'm not doing that. And I got tenure in an NEA lawyer, get out of my classroom. But the, the thing with that is it's going, you're from Toledo, you're from the Rust Belt, right? Yep. How many, how many old school union guys do you know now that don't want nothing to do with the union and don't no. want nothing to do with the, and the, and their politics have completely changed in your life with just, just your, you know, mid thirties, just within your lifetime, how much that's changed. You're going to see the same thing with the teachers and the teachers union, because the yep. teachers that really want to get in their classroom and teach all those admins spent COVID blaming the, here's what's happening. Those in classroom teachers and my parents were both teachers. Okay. I love teachers. My daughter's in school to be a teacher right now. My oldest daughter got an education degree. Those in classroom teachers, the administrative level wants to get all their money claiming they're there to support them. But then every time something goes wrong, they turn around and blame the teachers. Right. What, what happened during COVID the admin level, the administration level was blaming the teachers and the parents were blaming the teachers and the admin level was making sure the parents kept fighting the teachers so that they didn't blame the admin level, the actual money-making admin level. Yeah. So the teachers are in the middle. So what's going to eventually happen is those, those teachers are figuring out real quick because the union is getting funded more by the admin level than the in-classroom teachers because that's where all the money is. That's where all those six-figure salaries are. That's where all the growth is. That's where all the higher degree levels are. The teachers are going to get sick of having to chase ridiculous amounts of certification. They always have to go get some other degree and go more in debt just to get another yeah. degree, just to get their, the teachers are getting sick of it. And they're, that's why they're having a hard time recruiting teachers right now. But the in-classroom teachers, they're going to do what we've seen in industry. We're going to see, they're going to revolt against the union is yeah. what's going to happen. It's already happening because they're like the people that actually want to be there are going to come up with some other method you know, it's going to be like every, the union. Look, I'm not against unions in theory, but when unions get politicized, it always goes one way. It's always one way traffic. And the in-classroom teachers, you know, they see Randy Weingartner flying around on a jet while they're telling everybody else we can't go in a classroom because everybody will die of <laughs> grisly, horrible death right in front of their children if you go into the building. But let me get on my private jet real quick and take a... <laughs> Why are you taking social media pictures of yourself getting on a private jet while you're advocating for schools being closed? Like I just I can't I can't I can't in, even in get Ukra my in Ukraine. She my went head to, she around, went to Kiev for some she, reason. Oh you're like, what are you doing in Ukraine, lady? Like this is but, like But there there was that one picture really bad where she literally like I'm making sure to mask up for my flight and she's getting on a Learjet. I'm like, yeah. have you completely oh, lost man. the plot? And it's stuff like that. Like Shameless. The in, this is where we talk about things like lowest level and local controls. Your local, you, if you're in a local school board, I know going to school board and yelling at people make you feel good. You know what you really need to do? The the education has three legs to it. It's the teachers, the parents, and the students. The com that the community should be getting their hands around. How do we have our in classroom teachers, our parents, and our students, and start getting them all together? And then that triad together 
goes and tells the the administration like you don't work here unless all three of us agree on it and we all agree on it that you're going to change this system this that's how you start getting changed in these schools because you actually have more control over your local schools than you do over congress or your governor or anything else because they're very reactive to stuff like that get your arms around the good teachers get your arms around the student and the teacher and the parent relationship and start repairing that and then go after these sobs that just want to use your kids as a milk cow to fund whatever craziness they're doing. That's how you fix it. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And you help man. the good teachers out. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I, you know, it'll be fascinating if, you know, obviously we've seen a lot of that political reorientation in, you know, in, in the rust belt where I live, you know, the auto workers, obviously the Jeep factories is what built the city of Toledo. Yeah. And they're making Jeeps. Oh, yeah. every, every Jeep you've ever seen is built right here. You know, um, uh, my dad's people's in Youngstown and, and after black, you know, after, after, um, Youngstown sheet and tubes shut down, they all went to work for GM and they're like, well, that'll work out great for us. And, and the defining moment of my father's life, cause he worked in Youngstown summers to pay for his college. He had a scholarship, but he didn't have room and board. So he'd work the steel. He, I got pictures of him, Youngstown sheet, sheet and tube. They're like, we're all going to GM. We can get you a job. Do you want a job at the Lordstown plant GM? That was pretty brand new at the time. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, I'm going to go back to West Virginia. I'm going to be a teacher. You know, and then you look at the layoffs and all the crap. Like, they made great money a lot of times, but yeah. then it was like the coal miners. Like, yeah, you make great money when you're working, and you sit at home laid off six months out of the year. What do you do? And it was the defining moment of my father's life. He went back to West Virginia, was a teacher, and, and did all the community stuff, and the rest is history. You know, those are those what ifs. And then you look at it the other side. It's like, well, what if those people didn't have to go through that? Yeah. What if they didn't get stuck in jobs that were— Part of it's mismanagement. Some of it was the global economy change, but a lot of it was just mismanagement and bad management. Yeah. You know, the steel industry didn't die because America couldn't make steel. They died because they didn't upgrade any of their equipment for 20 years because they thought it would go forever. And when we rebuilt Europe and, and Japan, all of a sudden they had brand new stuff and were kicking your butt. A lot of that was just mismanagement. Yeah. And you wonder how different people's like. Look, we talk economics big picture. We always need to keep in mind education policy economic policy this affects people's lives you and me are sitting here because how economics affected our parents and how their grandparents went through foreign policy stuff all this stuff freaking matters and it matters to our kids it's an important perspective to have and i i think about youngstown a lot even though i'm not from there because i got family there how different their lives were than the lives of us that were the west virginia side of the family we were poor but we were way more stable if that makes sense and you don't think that changes people's personalities and their politics and Mahoning County was the biggest swing County, you know, Obama to Trump back to Biden Mahoning. I mean, it was crazy. It was like 30, 20, 35. Like it was insane. Yeah. But why is that? Cause they're freaking hurting. Yeah. It just sucks right now. They got no hope. What do you think? Anyway. And it's not a, a localized issue. I mean, you know, I, you know, people build cars all over the place, but when you, you're talking about these towns getting hollowed out by, you know, the plant shutting down or moving to Mexico or, you know, whatever, yeah. like that is a, a Midwest Rust Belt phenomenon. Everybody got Let hit. me tell you about some coal mines. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, with the whole COVID shutdown and, and education Everybody crap, experienced everyone, coast to coast, doesn't to matter if you're in Alaska, yep. it doesn't matter. Worldwide. Worldwide. When was the last event, maybe World War II, but even that, it, was, it wasn't, when was the last time something happened that just about everybody on the planet experienced kind of some of the same stuff at the same time. I don't know that there's really been anything ever like that. No, the world wars, I guess would be the closest. Yeah. But I mean, even that, I mean, with the technology, you're getting a newspaper about a battle that happened six months ago. Yeah. Yeah. My, my, my uncle Roy was with uh, Patton and the third armor 
like Aunt Flo got two telegrams that he was missing in action, one that he was dead. She didn't get a letter for three years, and he just shows up one day because the mail never caught up with him. And then about two months after he got home, all his letters showed up. You think Holy about the crap. technology. Oh, you you think about the tech. You know, Uncle Roy just shows up one day like, hey, I'm not dead. You know, in early 46, by the time they mustered him out and got him back to the States. But then by the, when I did my Iraq tours, you know, I had email and we had pretty good telephone. You know, we could get we could get somebody on the phone pretty easily, relatively right. speaking. You had emails, things like this. The technology jump is so big. Look, COVID happened. You could talk to somebody in Hong Kong and somebody that was in North Carolina and they were both under lockdown at the same time. Just just I don't think we've really appreciated how unique in human history that is. The oh, first, yeah. the fact that you could talk to him and two is that you were both having the same problem at the same time. Like that's remarkable. You don't think that changes people. I, we, we really haven't learned the lessons of COVID yet, but, but the next generation to loop this back where we actually started with the kids, they're already putting the changes in and we're not even paying attention to the changes that are happening right under our nose on it, especially politically. You watch hearing about another five five to ten years when that's the main voting block coming up when they start hitting their thirties and then the main that's gonna change how they manage their businesses. That's gonna change how they're managers for their people if they're in positions of authority. That's gonna change how they're teachers if they become teachers. That's gonna change our media people when they go in the media and become talking heads. They're they're gonna remember all that. It's gonna change how they teach. It's gonna change how they run for office. It's gonna change who they want to vote for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean we're we're gonna be feeling the effects of unplugging the global economy and then attempting to plug it back in a couple years later for a long, long time. I mean, obviously we know things are, we see the the education numbers, how they, you know, it's whatever, 20% of kids are proficient in math, you know, 25% are, are, you know, reading at their grade level and all that. Eighth graders are two years behind on average. That's, that's just, that should be, that should have people in the streets protesting. It should. should, I, I swear to God, like how that, that is not okay. No, like and, you, and like, you can do nothing else in life if you can't read. You can do nothing I know. if you can't read with comprehension. And like that's bad. Like looking at that, reading an article on it, reading that statistic, you're like, that's bad. But we're not going to know how bad that is until those kids are 25. You know, what those I mean? like college those college people I was sitting with are worried about it because they're like, forget we already got bad enrollment. What happens when we start having kids that can't even test in? So now you got to drop the standards again because the money machine's got to be fed. So they got to yeah. take more and more kids that can't do. So then they're going to go in for a year or two leave, and then they're going to wind up with debt. You see how this just becomes a self-eating thing? It, you're, we are feeding all the bad beasts right now, and we're not even paying attention to it. Yeah, and then you know, obviously with the with the standards, I mean, you see like Harvard and like the Ivy League schools like doing the social justice kind of thing and and reducing their standards. It's like, man, how how far is this? Are we going to have people at in med school who can't read like like how far is the rot gonna go in in the next five or ten years like i who knows who knows yeah I, you know it's it's fascinating man i there's some other stuff i wanted to get to but we are way out of time sorry for keeping no, you sorry brother again no 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 no, 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 no. no, no. this is this is great because like you i haven't done a show in about a month because i've had some personal stuff with one of my kids and my own health stuff so i'm i was raring to go so it, it's good to talk to you and it's just good to talk about stuff and We'll keep doing it, my friend. It's always good talking to you. Hey, we made it this entire podcast without saying the name Trump. I say that in this day and age, that's an accomplishment, my brother. Well, we're going to be talking about it plenty for the next, uh, <laughs> what, 18 months or so. So, oh. yeah, there is never a shortage of that. But this kind of stuff's really important. So it's funny how you can take an Afro man you know, video and talk about really serious policy stuff. But that's exactly why I do what I do, because everything political has a cultural element and all culture winds up as a politic at some point. 
you got to do both at the same time. If you just talk one or the other, you're you're just screaming into the void. You're not actually going to convince anybody, and you're not really going to get anything done. So I love talking about it this way, my friend. Yeah, yeah. A lot of guys try to. A lot of commentators do try to take the robot or the screaming child angle. You know, which yeah. is if you t- if you're, you're all policy or all culture or whatever, you know, you you become one of these kind of caricatures. So I think uh, the adult thing to do is try to walk and chew gum at the same time. Yeah, you can try, but man, <laughs> social media, money, power, and alcohol, and Twitter—it just makes you more <laughs> what you are. People, I, I tell people all the time, like the best part of social media is it really tells you who people are in a hurry because yeah. they they let the guard down, don't they? Uh, sure do. All right, my brother. Where can everybody check out your show, which is fantastic? Where can everybody read your stuff? Where can everybody follow you online? All that good stuff. Yeah, four for the fire. That's written out for numerical for the fire. I didn't think of that one before I started having to market it. I was like, ah, I should probably should have got something easier to spell. But four for the fire, Andrew Donaldson. If you pop my name into Google, all kinds of stuff's going to pop up. Ordinary-times.com, Herd Tell Show, all the platforms, YouTube. Uh, we're taking a little break right now, but we've got 380-some shows in the archive. That includes 45 long plays and some other stuff. We're going to be doing some specials even while we're not doing the daily radio show for the next little bit so we'll have that all in there i've been writing a column for local west virginia press that just i just found out it's going to get syndicated by the west virginia press association which that's really cool uh and we're doing a lot more appalachian focused stuff on that so folks can look at that and if you just want the food stuff and no politics i know brady's big on my waffle house pieces uh yonder and home over at medium just type in yonder and home my name will pop right up for you that's just food writing folk writing a little bit of faith stuff in there some music stuff really good stuff and I always appreciate you my friend how many people do you reckon use the uh, hashtag Twitter Supper Club at this point? Oh, my God. Um, that thing blew up, man. It tri- it trends every <laughs> evening now. Yeah. It trends every— yeah. But it's—I I just talked about this when I was doing my panel. Um, it's amazing. Like, I, you start—people are like, who, you know, Alton Brown retweeted it at one point from Food Network. Really? Um, probably the craziest one on there was— um, uh, Mary Bono, Sonny Bono's ex-former wife, she he died and was a multi-term congresswoman out of uh, California for, as a Republican. Uh, she she I've gotten so bad. She started talking smack to me the other night. She's like, all right, I'm going to beat four for the fire this week. And it was like this real fancy thing <laughs> from a restaurant. So the next night I, I upped my game a little bit and like made my plating look pretty. She's like, OK, you win this round. And I'm sitting there like Mary Bono is smack talking my dinner. How did this happen? <laughs> But, dude, it is so much fun to put. And I keep it real, too. Like, if I get a filet of fish from McDonald's, I pop oh, yeah. that bad boy on there. It's not just when I do a steak up. It, it Because people that do what we do, food is universal. Oh, yeah. Food is absolute. Everybody's got to eat. And it's just this real, everybody just wanted that one bright thing in their timeline. And it's blown up. You usually have, I like when you put your game meat on there. That's always oh, yeah. fun. You know, our buddy, uh our buddy Tim, our pig farmer friend, he's always got his pork stuff on there. Yeah, yeah. I, I love it. But, it's fun when you see two people that I know if I put in a room together, they're a progressive and a conservative and they would literally kill each other. And they're like, Oh, send me that recipe. And I'm sitting there like, man, if you guys actually knew each other in real life, I love it. (laughs) Twitter supper club, join it. Everybody can participate. It's one of the great joys of my life. I love it. hundred percent is the best part of Twitter in my opinion. And one member of the Twitter supper club bought me the starry waffle house painting from our friend, Matt Dawson. And I had it waiting on me while I, when I got home, I'm going to have it. By the time I go back to do my show, I got to get a frame. But it's it's for people who don't know what Matt Dawson go. Yeah, go to you got to explain this. I haven't, I haven't mentioned this on the podcast yet, so explain this see, real quick. So Van Gogh's famous Starry Night painting 
he painted it with a Waffle House in the same style as Starry Night. The Waffle House is at the bottom, and and, and the the caption on it was Vincent just wanted a bite to eat. Um, <laughs> but but w- you've just got to see it because it looks like as if if Van Gogh had it's painted phenomenal. a Waffle House, yeah. and wasn't colorblind and could see yellow, which he couldn't, by the way. Um, if he had painted a Waffle House into Starry Nights. It has blown up. He oh, yeah. he was on Fox News on yes. I think Thursday or Friday, Fox <laughs> News that morning. But one of my one of the Twitter Supper Club bought it and sent it to my house. Um, I'm actually going to get it and send it to some friends. Support our buddy Matt Dawson, uh, Saint Tr. He's down in Louisiana. Real good guy on Twitter. We both followed him anyway before he became a famous artist. Uh, but Star Starry Waffles. He's got a lot of other really good art. Check that out. But that's that's the power that that Twitter Supper Club is. I, you know, I sat at a conference at American Enterprise Institute, one of the biggest think tanks in the country, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting there talking about a Waffle House painting. How cool is that? <laughs> and they put it on the screen. It was great, and everybody's like, "Ah, oh, it's awesome." So Dude, life's good, bro. He's gonna. He's that fella's gonna make a million dollars off of that thing too. I mean, that he's gonna, I, have, to, he's gonna have to quit being. Oh, that, the price. When I first was gonna go get it, I saw the price, and now the price is like double. I mean, it's still very affordable. Right, right, right. I, I don't look too well, but I'm so happy for him because that's yeah. his side. Hook. Man, that's America right there. A pharmacist that paints a Van Gogh version of a Waffle House painting, and that makes his art. And he he does original stuff too. Because my one my daughter that's an artist. She's like, it's almost sacrilegious. So I'm like, shut up. This is great. This is <laughs> this is. Hot. But yeah, support our buddy. But that just shows you how much fun Twitter can be if you do good things on Twitter and not just yell at people and call people names and stuff. Hundred percent, and I, I only, I, I try to remember to take a picture of dinner because I cook dinner every day, and I. Uh, no, no, no! You send it to me and don't send it out on the main Twitter's way. Usually, sometimes happens. I forget. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll send it to you, and I'll forget to tweet it, and then I, I never remember to. I mean, I eat mostly wild fishing game anyway, but I only remember to take a picture when it's wild game because it's like I, I send stuff to like a couple of my hunting buddies who suck at cooking, you know. And like yeah. they, I'm trying to give these boys some ideas, not just I'm tired of these guys like just turning a tire deer into beef jerky or whatever. You know what I mean? I'm like, guys, there's more to life. But at that, and I'm like, I got to remember to take photos more often because See, it's like very infrequent. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to get more thing. involved with Twitter. Well, we got to get into the culture of this for some time. I'll talk about the, the whole thing on like Thanksgiving weekend, that holiday weekend when deer season opens in West Virginia. You take the back strap off first and then that's what you eat while you finish clearing, cleaning the deer. And they make that while you're cleaning the deer. And then you eat that back strap right as you get done. I, I don't know that there's anything better taste. You've been out hunting all morning. You've been out there since so dark 30. You take the backstrap off, give it to whoever's doing the cooking in the kitchen. You go finish cleaning the deer because it's hanging out on the porch or the tree or whatever. Clean it. That first bite of backstrap after a day of hunting and cleaning. Oh, yeah. You just can't. There's no describing. You understand what I'm saying? Because it's the whole day in one bite of. I need to write about this. Let me write this down. No, you should. That, you should. that I, bite. Because you know what I'm talking about about backstrap. Oh, yeah. Like people that don't hunt and do their own butchery have no idea what I'm talking about. That first bite of backstrap that they cook while you do all the rest of the cleaning is oh god. And I mean, I uh, personally, I'm a heart first guy. Yeah, I'll eat that heart first. Like that. Because I, like, I, there's something about it. I don't know. Do, are do all organs? I I don't know. Man, we, I I gotta end the show because we're gonna <laughs> we're going on forever. But uh, like, it, I don't think organ meat goes through rigor mortis the same way. It's never even if you don't age it hanging in a tree forever. Like they, they it's still not tough the way that fresh meat is. Like See, within 24 like, hours? Or am I just not, making that up? I don't I'm know. not a liver and onion guy. I'm not a liver guy either at all. I don't really like Fogwall, although I've tried it. If, if you've ever gone fishing, like we used to tout line the lake with chicken liver, so we had hundreds of them because it's like a 300-hook yeah, yeah, yeah. tout line, right? 
you throw it in the bottom of a, of a used beer can, which is a little bit of beer in the bottom, a little salt and pepper, and just chuck it in the fire and then take it out like an hour later. Yeah, yeah. It's like the best tasting thing. I mean, it's the middle of the night and you're cold and whatever, so that's all plays into But it's just the best tasting little bite of food. It's like a little yeah. little liver nugget because yeah, yeah. it's sat in that can and it just cooks perfectly and it braises, you know. We need to do just a whole food podcast episode. Let's put that together because we're over time on this one. I'm down, man. I'm down. Everybody follow Andrew. He's great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks.